There's something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. DGB nominal, where the universe is a figment of its own imagination. All systems remain nominal, nominal, nominal. Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. And once again, joining me from the other side of the pond is John Berger. How you doing, John? Doing all right. How about you? Yeah, things are going really good at the moment. There's a lot of things going on, so always better to be busy than not. Oh, I would agree with that, except, I mean, does all this cold have to go with it? It's getting frigid over here. Well, that's because you've spent the last week in Minnesota. No, 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 no. That's Minnesota is frigid. It was consistently <laughs> like 25 degrees warmer here than it was in Minnesota. Oh, wow. They're, they're a lot farther north than I am. Of course, you guys are farther north than they are. Yeah, but we get the wet stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Desire a place to get away? How about three? You truly belong here among the clouds on Bespin, the first stop on your Star Tours getaway package. Stay and play in the clouds and enjoy the spectacular Galaxy in the Skies fireworks pageant every single night. The fun continues on the forest moon of Endor, where you'll sleep under the stars with the lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. Your third stop brings you to the peaceful world of Alderaan, where you can relax in a natural wonderland, recently voted safest planet in the galaxy by Hyperspace Traveler. This Star Tours getaway package is three times the fun in one, so ask your travel consultant to book yours today. We have a special guest on the line, also from the other side of the pond, but a bit further west. From the Star Wars Underworld website, we have Chris Siegel. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good, and I can definitely uh, corroborate with John. I, I grew up in Minnesota, and it's pretty much 25 <laughs> degrees colder there than the North Pole, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I know some people that used to come from Minnesota as well. Um, they used to do a, a space-related podcast, strangely based there, and they moved to Anaheim, so it was a complete <laughs> culture shock for them as well. <laughs> So, Chris, tell us a little bit about uh, Star Wars Underworld and, and what, what your uh, role there is. Right, so the Star Wars Underworld um, is mainly a Star Wars news website. I think that's what most people would know it as, StarWarsUnderworld.com. It's just where you go to get news about Star Wars announcements, uh, casting announcements for the films. We have like reviews of uh, Star Wars Rebels, the animated show. Uh, stuff like that and we also do a podcast where we basically round up the news from each week called the star wars underworld podcast so i am the uh, webmaster for the website 
design the website and I kind of manage all of the back end coding and stuff for it. And my friends Ben and Dominic do most of the writing for the website. And then I'm a host on, on the podcast every week. So myself, Ben and Dominic will sit down and talk about all the Star Wars news and break it down. Yeah, and there's a lot of that going on at the moment, isn't there? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. I mean, it's it's crazy because initially when we started our podcast, we had to basically read comments by people about their opinions on things. That's what most of the show was like there would be a, maybe a new episode of the Clone Wars back then, and then we'd get it, we'd ask people, "What do you think?" And then we'd spend about half the show, maybe three quarters of the show, just reading people's comments and then using them to kind of start a discussion. And there's no way we could do anything like that now. <laughs> now it's just news, 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 more news, and we only really get to talking about half the stuff, just the more interesting half every every week. I mean, consistently, we have about eight to nine pages of show notes for every podcast. Wow. And uh, usually we're about halfway through the show by the time we get to, like, the beginning of page two. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have to kind of speed through to get as much through, you know, the rest as possible. It's absolutely insane. Do you often get news that's fresh off the press as you're actually going out? Yes. There's been moments where they'll actually release, like, trailers during our show. And those are those are the best when we can actually, like, stop and, like, react to it live. Um, so once in a while we get breaking news. Uh, we do our we record our shows on Thursday nights, which is typically pretty good because I've noticed with like Lucasfilm, they work on a Monday through Friday schedule, and Friday is kind of like their casual day. So it seems like they want to get everything out and published by by Thursday. So typically <laughs> middle to middle of the week to into Thursday. That's when most stuff comes out, so it kind of works great with our schedule, except for last week. Last week, uh, they decided to wait for the um, Lando casting announcement until Friday, so we have yet to talk about that yet. <laughs> oh, wow. Which is an interesting topic, to be honest with you. Very big news. Yeah, for sure. No, I I, I like the casting choice uh, as clever as, as Lando, like, uh, and I think most of us at the Star Wars Underworld do. I, I haven't really heard a lot of negative negative comments about that that I, I think it's a little bit easier to recast lando than han han's really tough because you know harrison ford is han solo like that's something that like it's going to be difficult for people to kind of let go of to see anyone else in that role whereas lando since he's less of a main character uh, I feel like people are less kind of attached to it, so I think they're more open to see a different interpretation of that character. Yeah, I mean, he's still the smoothest guy in the galaxy, though. Yeah, <laughs> true. John, what do you think of the of the casting? He does actually look like a, a young Billy D. Williams, so that part fits. Uh, he's obviously very talented. I mean, he, he's not just an actor. He's also a musician. Uh, he's won multiple awards, so he's definitely got the talent for it. I don't have a problem with the casting at all. I'm more interested in the storyline because rumor yeah. has it that they're going to explain how Lando lost the Millennium Falcon to Han. Because, you know, he says, hey, you lost it to me fair and square. But supposedly they're going to discuss how that happened. And I'm intrigued by that one. Well, you, when you see that camaraderie that they had when they hadn't seen each other for a while in Empires and it was like, what's up kind of thing? What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> kind of thing. Right, right. And still that, hey, he's my friend and I don't trust him. <laughs> so how, how all of that comes into play. So I'm, I'm actually kind of eager to see this. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the Lando comics, John. Have you, have you read any of those? Because he comes across as a character that would sell his grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> 
He doesn't come across too well in them at all, uh, but he does kind of change his way of thinking towards the end of the of the series, which is uh, really cool. Take it you've you've read those, Chris? Those ones have gotten really good reception. I, I think they're that's one of the best series they put out. The the storyline is basically the relationship that he had with uh, Lobot, and uh, right uh, before he became more of a robot and he was more human back then and it was Lando's fault that he became a robot so he changed his outlook on life Uh, yeah that'll do it yeah no I think (laughs) it's interesting this film because I I think that uh, the 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 Han Solo film is going to benefit from having lower expectations than most of the other films that are coming out like I think people had super incredibly high expectations for for The Force Awakens because, you know, it's the first film back, you know, you're getting the, the original cast back for the first time in, in many, many years. And it did a good job. I think it met those expectations. Rogue One also, I feel like, is getting a huge build-up because it's going to be a different type of Star Wars film. It's going to be more kind of like a war film. It's deviating from the uh, saga and the characters that mm. we're used to and, and the themes we're used to in the, in the saga film. So I think that there's a lot of hype for that just because it's different. But when you get on to further um, anthology films, standalone films, like the Han films, like I don't think people are like super pumped for it. I think they're just waiting to see how it goes. Some people are kind of not happy that they're so quickly, you know, recasting roles just, you know, a few movies in. So I, I think that the movie really, it doesn't have to be a great film. I think it just has to be a good film to kind of meet expectations, which is to, to its advantage. Well, in fairness, though, they're not really recasting anything. I mean, Harrison Ford cannot play a younger <laughs> Han Solo at this point. What do they expect him to do? You know, do what they did in Ant-Man and digitally make him younger like they did with Michael Douglas? You know that you have no choice if you're going to do a Han Solo uh, origin story. You've got yeah, to no, I mean, him. you're right about that. And um, for me, like the way that I looked at it is, you you have you know these two mediums for for Star Wars you know movies. You have animation and you have live action, and I, I find it kind of interesting that they are choosing to do this story as a live action story when they could do it as an animated story and not have to worry about this problem. So I'm kind of curious to see kind of why they want to do this as a as a live action movie and actually take the risk of having somebody else play, you know, Han Solo for the first time ever and same thing with Lando. But uh, again, the good thing about this is because people are kind of skeptical about this, you know, they they don't. It doesn't have to be like the best movie ever. I think it just needs to hold up in order to kind of meet expectations. Right. Yeah, that's a movie that's definitely going to focus more on on the characters than the overall plot. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to. You know, with Rogue One, obviously we got to figure out. Oh, how did the whole Death Star thing? How did they get the plans? Oh my God. You know, it's based on. That's the that's the main plot device. Han Solo is basically how did he come to be. So yeah. they don't really need to do anything. I mean, obviously they're going to have to do something to keep it interesting, but it's not like they're going to need to have a ton of action and, and that sort of thing to make it work. I think the people um, writing this film, they wrote the uh, the Lego movie, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yep. That's right. So that was a really fun kind of just like adventurous, whimsical film. So, uh, But it also had like a really cool like twist in it as well. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that's that's kind of what I'm expecting with with this Han Solo film. I think that uh, on the surface it's just going to be you know just like a really fun adventure. I think there's going to be kind of really that 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 kind of quippy Star Wars dialogue that you're you're used to, especially from like the original trilogy. I'm expecting that. But I think that these writers also have the potential to kind of have something under the surface that is kind of um, a lot more deeper and 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 more intriguing. So I'm, I'm hoping that they can pull that off too. Well, it, it also, if it does go that route, and I think you're right because obviously they have that kind of background to them. You know, if they can do the Lego movie, they can do something that's fun and bouncy and so forth. But it's also going to have to have that because it's going to be coming off the heels of Rogue One, which clearly is going to be a dark movie, followed by the second of the third trilogy which from all intents and purposes is supposed to be dark as well. So if you're going to have two Star Wars movies in a row that are going to be relatively dark, you're going to need something that's going to be a little bit lighter. Otherwise, people are going to start wondering if Warner Brothers bought them out. <laughs> that's a very, very good point. It's going to become like a Christopher Nolan series. Like, I, I, I get that. Yeah, that's a, I've not heard anyone say that before. And I, I really like that idea that, you know, you do need something kind of positive amidst a lot of more heavy or potentially negative, you know, things. So I think maybe that might, might be one reason why they chose to, to put out a movie like this, you know, so early when there are a lot of other options out there. I get the impression it's going to be like a, a space-related uh, buddy movie, you know, like a road trip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, are they also going to? They're also going to have to show how he met up with Chewbacca, unless they're right. going to approach that as they've already knew each other, which would be kind of awkward. Yeah, I think they'd have to somehow shoehorn that in somehow, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, we don't know how much of a time span this film is going to have. Like, for instance, with Rogue One, we're starting to find out that Rogue One covers multiple eras. What we haven't figured out yet is, of course, and we're not going to know probably until we sit down and watch it, is it going to be the type of film where it's going to be linear and it's just going to start off, you know, in like the Clone Wars era or like right after Revenge of the Sith and then move forward? Or is it going to be something where we're just going to go back and see flashbacks to previous things we don't know but they're establishing that star wars movies can do this now so i wouldn't be surprised if they do it with the han solo movie too and we see maybe multiple parts of his life you know shoehorned into this one movie and then so maybe he's together with chewbacca at the beginning of the film when it opens up but then there's a flashback to him meeting chewbacca at some point in the film yeah that would make sense chris uh i met you at star wars celebration europe um and that's how, how we got in contact how did you find the experience there? It was really awesome. Um, I, I felt like they did a really good job for something that was overseas. Uh, this was the first convention that I've been to personally that wasn't in America. Um, but I have a lot of friends and some of the people from uh, Star Wars Underworld itself have been to other celebrations like uh, uh, Dominic was at Celebration Germany. I have friends that went to uh, Celebration back when it was in Japan uh, several years ago. And uh, from what I can tell, this was definitely the largest and best celebration outside of America. I think it's tough to compare it to the American celebrations because it's so close to a lot of, you know, to to, to Lucasfilm's headquarters so they can, you know, it's really easy for them to fly back and forth between it and send a lot of people there. And then the ones in America, I, I notice, are longer. They're four days, whereas the ones overseas are three days. So they can pack a little bit more into the into the schedule. So I would say that if I were to rank it, I, I would say that I put it a little bit behind 
Celebration Anaheim and maybe around the same as Celebration Orlando that happened before that. But uh, for overseas stuff, I thought they did a fantastic job. It definitely set like a new standard for anything outside America. So what was your, your highlight of the event? Uh, well, for the actual programming itself, my highlight would have definitely been the Rebels panel where they announced that Thrawn was coming back. It just got a really positive reception from fans and i felt like out of all the panels there like that's the one that kind of i I felt like had the most energy rogue one was pretty big too but there was a little bit you know it was a little bit of a bumpy ride um with rogue one there was some mistakes in the presentation and stuff so that that i think kind of deflated the the room a little bit unfortunately but uh the 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 thrawn announcement was definitely uh done very very well and was definitely a, a home run for them so that was great and then it was really great to meet up with so many Star Wars fans from Europe because you know it's really a lot of them have never been to you know a celebration in the States so I, I, I've met many you know Americans through the celebrations I've gone to uh, here but I had, had not gotten the chance to meet most of my European friends and fellow you know podcasters and bloggers and people on Twitter and all those people that you know and you know I've been like interacting with online for so many years like to actually get to see them in person and meet them for the first time was absolutely amazing so we got to you know we got to record uh some some shows from from the floor at at celebration uh, in london and involve some of the our friends from europe in them and that was that was really cool and just you know hanging out with them going to panels with them and you know hearing things from their perspective was was great as well and having been to a few celebrations and a few like comic cons and stuff like you start to get kind of into the flow of things and while there's still things that happen that are really amazing and mind-blowing there's it's really you know you kind of lose that first initial sense of just absolute like mind-blowing epicosity that you get when you first realize like wow this is a thing i'm in this and so to be at a celebration that was in you know london and it had been many many years since there had been a celebration there Mm -hmm. so many of the people in fact most of the people there were uh that was the first time they had ever been to like anything star wars any star wars event and so to kind of see how they reacted to that was amazing. Uh, for me and uh, people from the Star Wars Underworld, where we're, we're just, you know, we've made a career of you know, going around and traveling to these things. You know, we can look at it a little bit more objectively and be like, okay, this was better, this was not as good, maybe they could have done this differently. Whereas for them, it's just like, oh, so amazing. Like, you know, it's, it's too incredible for them to even think about it objectively. And it's kind of cool being around that energy. It's, it's fun. It's even more interesting to say that so many people have not had a Star Wars kind of convention over there when you yeah. think of it really the star wars movies are british film right <laughs> because so much of them were filmed at pinewood yeah they did make a big point and it's in the the um the, the souvenir program that you get uh, for the event that uh, they made a point of saying from 76 rather than 77 because obviously they were filmed in 76 so they made a big point of saying you know london is very important to the star wars saga yeah it's very true and it's crazy because like obviously george lucas and lucasfilm and star wars have has changed filmmaking around the world so much and he's introduced so many just many technologies and ideas like uh, digital technology for instance and into filmmaking that you forget that star wars is not a primarily american hollywood union thing it's an independent film yeah. made by George yeah. Lucas, made by an independent production agency, uh, Lucasfilm, and it 
mainly has actors from overseas. You know, most of the films, like you said, were filmed in Pinewood. So a lot of the actors and certainly the vast majority of like the extras and minor actors are all from that area. And then also some of the prequels were filmed in in, uh, Australia. Mm -hmm. So you've got a lot of Australians in in those films. And of course, that's another thing that I would really like to see them do is to actually have some type of Star Wars convention down in in Australia because that's something they haven't done yet. You know, they've been to London, they've been to Germany, they've been to Japan, they've been all over America, but there hasn't been anything down uh, in in Australia. And I think that would be really awesome because of all the people from Australia and New Zealand that, you know, were involved in the prequels. I was actually talking to some guys uh, at uh, Star Wars Celebration who were part of the uh, New Zealand garrison and uh, with a lot of them I mean the, the, the offshoot which is the uh, the Rebel Legion side of things because they had a, a Kiwi accent they could get away with being cl- clone troopers <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they were loving it <laughs> yeah no they, they, they've got it they got to do something down there I know um, another series of, of conventions that's becoming very popular uh which is uh, online video conventions, VidCon and Playlist and Buffer and those. They're expanding out to Australia next year. They're having a few different, I think they're having two down in Australia and two different cities down there. So it's definitely something that other people are looking at in the convention business. So I think it's only a matter of time, hopefully, until Lucasfilm jumps on it too. I'd actually also be interested to see them do this sort of stuff. Like even over in, uh, I think it was last year, I saw a video of a comic convention in Moscow, Russia. And <laughs> wow. there were thousands of people there all dressed up as Marvel and DC characters, Captain America, Batman, you name it, Superman. And you're thinking, that, wow, this is over in, in Russia. Yeah. I mean, they have a I, huge um, a Comic-Con in Bucharest in, uh, in Romania. In Romania, yep. Yeah. So there's space for these countries to actually take part in things like Star Wars Celebration. There's, there's scope for it, definitely. The problem, though is not so much that you risk diluting any one particular convention, but the people who set these things up, you can only do so much. I mean, True. you know you know that I'm huge on the PAX conventions. I, got, I get my tickets to PAX East every year up in Boston, and they've now got three in the U.S., one in Australia. Well, the guys uh, who, who, who run, you know, the, who do the Penny Arcade web, website, they can only go to so many conventions in a year and same thing with all of the uh, video game companies they can only have stands and displays at so many conventions a year because that stuff costs money oh yeah <laughs> yeah but again there's so many different people and and for stars especially licensees like it, it can get to a point where you're not every single company and organization has to be at every single convention no. it still can be a full convention without that and with star wars i think having something once a year is good i think yeah maybe do, doing more than that would put a lot of stress on the the organizers and the people that want to be involved in as many as possible to try to make that happen but i mean i think within a once a year model if they say just do what it appears they're doing right now which is like every other year there's one in the united states and then on the off years there's one overseas uh i think that would work perfectly you know you have the one in orlando coming up you know this spring in, in 2017 so why not 2018 have that be when it's down in australia and then come back to the u.s in 2019 i think that would work right. perfectly or if they could do something like we will license a group organizer to do this mm. uh as long as it follows our very specific guidelines on what you can and cannot do 
And that, that'd at least be something to also bring to the fans as well. Not that Star Wars really needs to be brought to any more fans. I think it's already taken over the entire world, but, you know. Still, that'd be that'd be something else. Yeah. Just well, the, the organization. Yeah, the organization that facilitates this read pop. Um, I'm pretty sure they do plenty of conventions outside of the Star Wars convention. Oh yeah. So they have oh, they have God, those yes. those people are used to you know that's their their full time jobs is is just doing conventions. So I'm sure they would be fine with contracts for more than one a year. It's just a matter of logistically for the people that you want to appear like the actors and the. The people behind Star Wars and the licensees, like logistically, how far do you want to push it? But I mean, again, a lot, a lot of these people, it's not just Star Wars conventions that they're doing. You know, there's a huge Star Wars presence at uh, San Diego Comic Con. There's a huge mm-hmm. Star Wars presence every other year at the D23 Expo now that uh, Disney owns Star Wars. So th- they want to do more, th- more things, you know, than just a celebration every other year, or every, every year. So just uh, having more of that under just the Star Wars umbrella, I don't think that would hurt. Because I mean, Reed just deal with pretty much everything because I know over here they do a lot of the corporate uh, conventions and uh, conferences as well because I've uh, been to so many of those in my lifetime and uh, yeah it's always Reed that seems to be organising them Did Reed do the big Star Trek 50th anniversary over there? Uh, yeah, I think they did. That was in, in Birmingham. That's surprising. Yeah, yeah, that was in Birmingham at the uh, NEC, which was huge. How did you guys pull that off? <laughs> I have no idea, because I, I don't know <laughs> what the connection with Gene Rodenbury in the UK is, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's just a collective, you know, Anglican culture, you know. I would assume that there's just about as many Star Trek fans per capita and you know, in the UK than, that there is in America. I mean, and again, it's like, it's the European continent that you get with with London because it's or anywhere anywhere in I mean London's easy to travel to don't say that to a Brit don't say that to a Brit they're not part of Europe I know. I'm being very. I'm, being, I'm choosing my words very carefully here to be geographically correct, but ignoring any politics involved. <laughs> Mark, Mark and I tease each other about that all the time. But no, you. you still, there, there. There's that closeness. There's that proximity and ease of travel. You know, you got you got an actual tunnel connecting you to the mainland. So, you know, it's it, you're definitely a part of that overall sphere. So um, you're looking at that entire market, you know, not just that one country. That's it. Which you establish when you go to these events, uh, how many countries are actually involved with the whole genre, if you like, of, you know, uh, not just Star Wars, but in science fiction in general. It's just amazing to see. Totally. And I take it you're all set up for Orlando next year. Oh, oh yes, definitely. <laughs> just uh, just purchased tickets for the uh, for the 501st bash. I'm not sure if there's any still available, but uh, Weird Al is going to be performing, so I definitely. Uh, and that also is all that money does go to charity as well. So I definitely recommend people checking that out. Wow. Now we know what song he's going to be playing. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Now, whilst we're on the topic of um, like conventions and exhibitions and things, um, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there's a, an exhibition coming to the UK. It's called Star Wars Identities. Um, oh, yeah. And I've heard of this. 
Uh, it's going to be at the, the O2 Arena, or what it used to be known as the Millennium Dome in Greenwich, not far from the XL, actually, <laughs> not far from there. And it's an uh, interactive exhibition. Um, you can create your own characters there as well. And I'm not too sure how that's going to work, but that's going to be interesting to find out. There's over 200 original props from all seven films, and the props have been loaned by the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. Uh, the exhibition opens on November the 18th, and will be open to the public until September 2017. The exhibition first began in Canada and has toured European cities, uh, including Cologne and Munich. Pieces of memorabilia will be like one of the the original Darth Vader costumes, the Princess Leia slave girl outfit, Kenny Baker's R2-D2 costume, and it just seems like it's going to be a, a massive event. And it's going to be a lot of the original concept artwork on there uh, so it's going to be a lot of like Ralph Macquarie stuff going on and uh, it really does look like an, an awesome exhibition and I've, I've put some feelers out to the organisers and uh, seeing if we can um, talk to people there oh that would be fantastic so if you could do that fingers crossed <laughs> So what else is going on out there, Chris, that uh, listeners might be interested in? Uh, Well, if there's anyone that is in the Southern California area, Ashley Eckstein and E.K. Johnston are going to be holding a signing in uh, in Hollywood uh, for the Ahsoka book. E.K. is the author, and Ahsoka narrated, or Ashley narrated the the audiobook. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be on Sunday, November 6th at 2 p.m. at the Barnes & Noble Bookstore and the Grove Mall in, in, in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California, United States. I have to <laughs> specify that <laughs> on an international show like this. So, yeah, so if you happen to live in that area, but even even if you don't, uh, they're still on tour. They're still going to various places. So they might, if they're if you don't live in that area, they might be going to uh, your city uh, still. So definitely, I think I think if you just go to Ashley Eckstein's social media and website, her her universe, uh, you can get information about that that particular tour. Uh, but I will be at the uh, the one in Hollywood on November sixth. So you can meet uh, Ashley, you can meet EK, you can get a photo of them, you can get your book signed. There will probably be five of first people there, and I will be there as well. This country is too damn big. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big country. I've, I just flew over it um, last week, and uh, yeah, it took a long time. <laughs> yeah. This is why we need transporters, like now. That would that would help a lot. But I think if we got to that point, everybody would just centralize all their Star Wars stuff in one place, and then everybody would go there, and we'd just end up with, like, in a legit, like, Star Wars land that's not just a theme park, but where people could live and work, and, <laughs> you know, it would be pretty crazy. Yeah, we we'll just need uh, Elon Musk to start working on something like that. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> For sure. All I want right now, this very moment, is I want the 3D release for The Force Awakens. That's I'm just waiting for that. Talking of which, yeah. talking of which, I'm, I know uh, it's been mentioned on on your site about the the little clip that's been uh, put up about the deleted scenes. Yeah, no, this I think there were several different clips that ended up being released. I think they were exclusives to various like 
um, news organization. So I think there were two or three different ones. Um, and one of them was an actual clip, uh, part of a deleted scene uh, with uh, Unkar Plot in um, Maskinata's castle. So that was pretty interesting, but uh, it was only part of the scene. So you have to actually wait for the thing to come out to see the whole thing, I think. And then there was also some clips of the commentary, J.J. Abrams talking about some things. And so he, he definitely... He had some interesting things to say, for sure, about kind of the reasoning behind some of the uh, choices in the film. The clip that you're actually talking about is quite prominent because I think everyone <laughs> has been talking about that clip um, well before they knew it was going to be a clip in the deleted scenes on the the 3D release because it had been rumoured for ages that that was going to be a scene in the movie. That's right. People just really wanted to see the action <laughs> behind the phrase, you know, let the Wookiee win. Yep. Hello, Ray. I'm going to make you pay for what you've done. I suggest kindly that you let go of me. And I suggest less kindly that you come with me. You have no idea the trouble you are in. Hey! I'm not afraid of you. Half a Wookiee isn't much. Well, now they can see it, which is great. But um, I see why, from like an emotional point of view, it doesn't really fit in with the scene that would have been before and after it. No. Like, it's in a very emotionally heavy sequence where, you know, you have Finn finally telling his his secret to to Ray, and then that's really emotional. And then you go after that to, you know, Ray, um, you know, down in the basement with a lightsaber and having that vision. So it would be kind of weird to have more of like a comedic action thing in between those two things. I think it flowed really well. So I think it was a good decision to cut it. Um, but it's great that they, they are letting us actually see it for, for the fun of it now. It's, it's, there's a lot of mysticism still behind Chewbacca. Uh, I mean, we saw a little bit in some of the prequels about, you know, his home world and everything else. There's still a lot you don't know about him. I don't know if there could be a, a, a Wookiee spin-off, whether they could do do that, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think they already tried that. Uh, if, like if you're talking about if you're talking about that, oh man. <laughs> oh the, 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 the production that will never be spoke of, yeah. No, it didn't happen. It did not happen. <laughs> I'd, I'd heard about it, and I, and I thought, well, why can I not find this? And then I did, and I realized why I couldn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> it was for your own good. Yeah. <laughs> You're protecting the public. Although, talk about scary old media when it comes to Star Wars, I do still have my vinyl LP for Christmas in the Stars. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I That's do still one. have that monstrosity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that wasn't that. A couple of the songs are actually pretty good. Some of them are just really not good. <laughs> See, that that really adds to you know the mystique of Chewbacca because it tells you all about what he wants for Christmas. <laughs> That's true, or what you can get for him for Christmas anyway. Yeah, cone. <laughs> yeah, there has been some. Uh... How do I put it? Dodgy things available. Uh, I mean, if you look at things like um, Caravan of Courage, I mean... (laughs) Yeah, actually, it's funny because basically I've gotten to the point now where, I mean, I've seen the Star Wars film so many times. I've seen the Clone Wars so many times, you know. I've held viewings where I've 
marathoned all the Star Wars movies in one day that really the only thing left to do is to go into what I call the Star Wars Apocrypha (laughs) and just watch that for its campy value. Um, So last year, me and a bunch of friends got together and we watched said uh, monstrosity, the holiday special, and that was crazy because whenever you do something like that, you know there's always going to be someone there that hasn't seen it yet. So that's always hilarious to subject them to that and see their, know what? That, that's, their reaction. That's like going to Disneyland with somebody who has never been there before and saying, right. you're going on a small world, we've had to do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then um, <laughs> this year we did Caravan of Courage. Um, so that was, that was quite fun. Um, and actually, to be honest, I don't think I'd ever gotten through that movie. I couldn't do it alone by myself. I didn't have the strength <laughs> to do it. So I think I'd only been able to get through like half of it or something when I was like really bored. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get together and we're all going to watch it. And we did. And it was, it was, it was a fun time. <laughs> I'll say that. How much um, alcohol was involved? Oh, there was, there was none. Um, wow. But um, if, if we were people that had that inclination, it would have been bad. <laughs> Might have made it easier to watch, though. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there's a whole other category of, you know, watching trippy Star Wars medium while tripping, like, on various things. That's, <laughs> that's maybe something I'll explore when I'm older and I've done everything <laughs> I want to do with my life. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, at this point, I really just wish that they'd come out there's obviously demand for it just release the original trilogy as it was originally shown just release that to blu-ray and they will make so many people happy yeah they they will so easily make their money back on that i'm surprised that they haven't done that and i think one of the reasons why is the fact that it just would be so difficult to reconstruct it at this point because the only really full copies that exist are like super low quality the original no have you not seen have you not seen the Team Negative One version of the original? Is it pretty good? They've reconstructed it's it? It's gorgeous. This is a group called Team Negative One. They actually got their hands on an original print. Mm. They scanned it. They cleaned it up. It's out there. It's available if you look for it. It is gorgeous. All the film grain is there. All the all the audio quality is there. In fact, the guy, oh, I can't, uh, Harmy, who does the despecialized edition, has actually mm. said he prefers that one to what he's done. Wow, that surprises me. I ha- I do, do know about the Despecialized project. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll have Which to go... Which is in and of itself. Oh, it is, yes. But I'll have to go and check to see how, you know, what's up with these negatives and stuff. That's that's interesting. I had always heard the rumors that there was something out there somewhere, like, you know... Oh, um, well, yeah. But from what I understand of the story of this is someone over in, I think, Eastern Europe who had mm-hmm. a pristine, well-preserved copy of it and this guy managed to buy it off of eBay, I believe. Huh. And it turned out to be, including, it, this also does not have the A New Hope in the beginning. Oh, so yeah, it's definitely the original version. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of makes me think that, you know, that, that excuse on Lucasfilm's, you know, side is a little, just an excuse that, you know, right. we just oh, don't yeah. have it. Well, well, like, they had to have access to it. Well, Ars Technica actually had an article a few years ago that said that Lucas remastered so much of the original that they'd probably only have to to find about 10% of the original films to be able to fully reconstruct it. Yeah, that's not that bad. So, no, it, 
by by their estimates, they said it should cost less than a million dollars in actual production costs to do it. Wow. They'll easily so, make that back. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So uh, hopefully they do that because the the reason why I want it is it's. I mean, I'm not like a purist in the sense where I'm like all these changes aren't canned and I just don't want to watch it. Right. Like I mean, some of them do improve the movie. You know, some of them are a little Absolutely. weird, but but some of them do make it a better film, and I'm fine with it. Uh, but the reason why I think that there should be a a readily you know consumable version of the uh, a high quality version of the originals is just for like the historical context of it because one of the most important impacts of Star Wars it's not just on culture but it's on the film industry and it's amazing you know you want to go back and whenever you're you're looking at movies from like a historical point of view when you're when you're researching you know the evolution of the film industry you know you're going back and you're watching movies and you're like wow it's amazing that you know, they could do that at that time, or this is the first time something like this has ever been done before. And you can't do that if the film has been doctored and improved since then. You right. know, you can't look at it from a perspective of analyzing, you know, how much they were able to do and how much it changed the film industry in the 70s and 80s. So I think that there should be a version out there just for that reason, so that when people are going back, and not just now, but, you know, in 100 years and 1,000 years, that's like really important because you know this the, i think that the time we're in in the evolution of just media is like going to be incredibly significant and very heavily studied for you know the rest of human history and star wars is right at the center of that so i think there needs to be an accurate depiction of what it was at the time uh for future you know generations to study well, i don't know i completely agree with that of course there is the irony that not too long ago, George Lucas was in front of Congress talking about how film preservation was so important. Right. right. We'll, we'll leave that one alone. But yeah, so I mean, we've got <laughs> we've got the the yeah. Army Despecialized Editions. We got this Team Negative One of the original movie, and I can't remember the guy's name, but another guy actually has he works with Lucas, and he says that he has all the movies, or at least the first one, completely restored. But hmm. he would love to put it out, but obviously Lucas is giving him the kibosh on that one. Yeah. So supposedly they're all ready to be released. Now I guess there is a little bit of an issue when it comes to the first one because that is completely mm. owned by Fox. Right. Regardless. I, I just cannot see Fox saying, Oh, that's gonna sell a whole bunch of copies. We're gonna make a mint just for giving you the rights to publish it. No, we're not gonna do it. I, I can't see them doing that. <laughs> I've had to be kind of really dumb on their part. Yeah, so, uh, no, it, it's going to be financially beneficial. You're totally right. So I, I don't really see. And plus, you don't have to worry about, like, Lucas's ego at this point either. No. I mean, and I'm not the type of person that will, like, demonize or criticize George Lucas for changing something that he made. Like, no, that's that's not a problem. He has the right to do that. I don't have a problem sure. with him for doing that. But that being said, I mean, I'm sure that that then played a part in while he was running the company us never seeing it the original mm -hmm. version because you know he's the one that wanted it to be different so why would then he want to put out the version that he didn't want like right, right. but now well, that he's actually, not there anymore hopefully they can be more objective oh yeah they, and i'm sure that they see the money to it as well but i've still got the uh, faces laser discs with right. uh, you know that, that's like the last best version of the original yep. trilogy that's yep. available and uh, he even says in the interviews in there that, well, you know, I'm sorry, but if you really want it, there's still, deep, you know, uh, laser discs and videotapes and so forth. It's like, okay, yeah, that's kind of fine, but I think it's pretty clear the demand is out there for the originals, 
And yeah, really, it, it Disney, get on it. You're gonna make a mint from it. Totally. Um, we're gonna go to a, a break. Chris, thanks for joining us on board the TGP Nominal today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's it's really fun being someone who does a lot of podcasts myself, and I'm like the host of the podcast. It's always really fun to kind of go on other people's podcasts to get away <laughs> from just you know the format. I mean, it's really fun what I do, but it's just cool to be around a different format for a show. It's it's fun. And it's, it's, a, it's always a pleasure to have someone who is like-minded when it comes to things like Star Wars. It really is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's been a, a blast talking about all this. Fantastic. Well, anytime you want to come back on the show, feel free, get in touch, and uh, yeah, we'll chew the fat, as they say. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. Filming Star Wars The Force Awakens in Great Britain was a wonderful experience. You bring Star Wars back to where it all began. being done with such love and such enthusiasm from everybody. I think that you'll be able to feel that coming off the screen. Every day I come to work smiling. This is the home of Star Wars. All six were made in England. It's nice to have it all back here. Star Wars is just an important part of everyone's history. It's a beautiful thing to be involved in it. You just know what it's going to be like in the cinema. Ladies and gentlemen, you know it, you love it, you can't live without it. This is TGP Normal. Nominal, damn! Welcome back to TGP Nominal. Now, before I forget, I've got a, a little piece that I want to play in because I promised some people that I would. Now, these guys are from another podcast, actually, called the Pancast Productions Podcast, and these guys called Neil and Carl. Now, we did a special thing that hadn't been done before as far as I know, but listen to this piece and uh, all will be revealed. Hello, everybody. Uh, <laughs> everybody. Right, we're, what we're going to do now is almost uh, the same as when you get two people with a camera quickly taking a picture of each other at the same time. So as Alan just said, and copyrighted, we'll introduce them in a minute, interpodding. We're interpodding. This could be a first. It could be. So let's right, welcome. Let's introduce it. Hello, Mark. Hi, how you doing, guys? Would you like to introduce your podcast? Yeah, uh, I'm from TGP Nominal Podcast, uh, your one-stop shop for all things science fact and science fiction. Nice. See where that rolled off the tongue, man? <laughs> Almost like he's a dab hand at this. <laughs> yes. So how long have you been podcasting? Oh, on and off since 2011, so uh, quite a long time um, under the, uh, the Garbage Pod uh, banner. Uh, started off as the Garbage Pod. Uh, and then sci-fi and uh, space kind of started creeping in a lot. And some of my non-spacey sci-fi type people started saying, uh, if you're going to keep doing this, then we won't be listening. So I thought, ooh, another podcast is coming. So I um, started up uh, TGP Nominal. It was always going to be TGP because it's the garbage pod. Uh, but we wanted to find something that fitted with the space theme. Um, and originally we wanted to call it TGP Throttle Up, uh, but that brought back bad memories of space disasters and things. So uh, we came up with uh, TGP Nominal because TGP well, Nominal in the space community is everything is awesome. Yeah. So uh, 
what can you say? Can't get any better than that. So you've been here just for the day then. What's been your highlight so far today? Today, um, the, the thing that's really stood out for me was there was a group of um, UK garrison stormtroopers that were asked to have their, somebody wanted an autograph. And they actually signed them TK whatever. Right. Which was, abs- oh, I just couldn't get over that. That just made my day seeing it. Yeah. I, I said to Alan, I wonder if they're going to sign it TK. And I looked over the shoulder, I was like... That's classic, yeah, cool. Nice. Now you mentioned Alan. Hello, Alan. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm um, guest on TGP Nominal, sometimes co-host, but I'm the kind of non-scientific... Um, skeptic sometimes. You're us, then, are you? You're, you're the people that are like that, that just are in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I've I've asked questions like, did we really go to the moon? That kind of thing. But I'll ask I'll ask questions about uh, stuff that's going on, you know, with like SpaceX and things like that. Because a lot of the stuff I do is politics and uh, news, human interest, that kind of thing. I'm currently, here today, I'm putting stuff together for a programme called London Beat, which goes out on J-Air Radio in Melbourne in Australia. Now, I normally produce and engineer that programme, but I'm I'm actually putting a piece together to go into that now. So that's what I'm doing today. Um, Star Wars, for me, is a series of films which I've enjoyed as entertainment. Full stop. Right, right. The so I'm just stunned by the amount of time that people have put into not just cosplay but you know the whole lifestyle. Mm. It seems to be a it seems to be a lifestyle for these people. I was talking to some artists who have had to go through such a, a rigorous process just so that they can sell their art which has Star Wars-related characters in it. Yeah. You know, they've got to be accredited, and it's got to be this, that, and the other, and it's got to be this whole process. So it's not just a case of, I've done a really nice painting of Luke Skywalker, and I'm going to come to I'm come and sell it. It's got to be accredited, it's got to go through an assessment and everything else. And I didn't realise that there was all this going on mm. all the time. So yeah. I'm the kind of... Non-sci-fi, non-sciency type person who comes in and and asks those kind of questions, right. and and discovers this kind of stuff. As I say, normally you'll find me on Downing Street trying to get my, you know, or in Westminster trying to get my microphone or my camera in some in a politician's face. So this is a really, really fantastic change for me. Nice, it's brilliant. So so far, what has been the highlight of your day then? The highlight for me. Shall I say the queue? No. <laughs> no. The highlight for me has been talking to all these really, really nice people who have genuine, you know, who've got, like, the 501st, who do a lot of really good stuff for charity. Yeah. And, and, but not just that. They, they are really passionate about it. That's the highlight for me. Yeah. Is these meeting these very genuine people who are passionate about what they're doing and really want to be here for the right reasons. Yeah. Wonderful. Wow. Well, there you go. So do you want to give your sh- uh, podcast a shout-out, mate? Yeah, sure. If, if you want to go to the, our website, it's uh, obviously www.tgpnominal.weebly.com uh, and 
Lines. Uh, just look on there. There's a section for our podcast. You can see what's on there. Um, and we've got also got things like our honorary uh, crew members page where people that we've uh, interviewed like... Uh, um, Dave Prowse and uh, Jeremy Bullock and people like that and uh, people like you met yesterday like uh, Pam Rose she's, yeah. she's on our honorary on our page uh, Chris Barry Patches. Patches. oh yeah that's uh, the, the, each of the honorary crew members get one of our TGP nominal uh, mission patches nice uh, which I've got to get some more made up because I'm running out but uh, yeah it's it's uh, up and coming and it's Oh, and there's Pam yeah, as we speak. Yeah, there's <laughs> She's everywhere. She is. That was really bizarre, just saying that. Oh, <laughs> and uh, here she comes. Here she comes, look. She loves being on the microphone. Yeah, it's Pam again. again. Hello. Hello, Pam. Good morning. <laughs> Afternoon. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you very much, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Cheers. Thank you, Alice. No problem. That was the guys from the Pancast productions podcast and they do um quite a few different types of podcasts they've got uh, a movie review podcast which is called that's no moon podcast (laughs) they said uh, before the event let's uh do this thing where we could cross over as a podcast and alan came up with this term which is is, uh, quotation marks and copyright interpodding so copyright seriously (laughs) (laughs) seriously Uh, whatever we uh (laughs) they were recording at the same time as we were recording so we got exactly the same conversation but it went out on their podcast and it also went out on our podcast as well See, I already did that, though, because I ended up doing that with the Britain Yankee many years ago. All right. So, you know, hey. <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> we Copyright. We, we can't, well, no, it's the actual <laughs> word, interpodding. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever used that before. <laughs> there are reasons for that. It's really odd. Yes, we're interpotting. Sorry, I guess I should leave you two alone then, or go get a room. You know, one of the two. <laughs> That's what that word sounds like. <laughs> we're interpotting. Well, are you too young for that? You know. But it was really good to to meet up with some other podcasters uh, who were doing a similar kind of thing. And yeah, we were supposed to meet up the night before, but. In certain areas, we weren't getting very good signals to send messages to each other. And it turns out, uh, Alan and I went to this Chinese restaurant, and there's an Indian restaurant next door. And about half an hour beforehand, they were in that Indian restaurant next door. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that's a big bit of a a shout-out to Carl and Neil from the Pancast Productions Podcast Network. Let's start talking other things in the community because I think we've we've done a lot of Star Wars. That's <laughs> not a bad thing. It isn't, but there is there is <laughs> other things out there. There are. Okay, I'll take a word for it. As great as Marvel superheroes' presence on the big screen and small screen have been, their sole female fronted series has been Netflix Jessica Jones. It is a big show, and there's something really big happening in it because the next series of Jessica Jones is solely going to be directed by female directors. 
I read that. It's, it's quite impressive, isn't it? I mean, they, they did have male directors in their, um, I don't know, a melting pot of um, ideas, but it just came out that these directors for that series or season with the best ideas were female. So they ran with it. Yeah, why not? Absolutely. It's, there are lots of, of female directors out there. I follow several on Twitter. You know, some people might not believe this, but one of the Punisher movies was directed by Lexi Alexander. She's a woman, and from what I understand, that one got panned a little bit, but from what I understand from people who actually follow the comics, uh, they said that movie was probably the closest to the comics of any of the Punisher movies. You know, she even said that there were spots where you, she could show you the comic panel that, that, that a particular scene was taken from. You know, women know how to do action movies. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, well, help. Wonder Woman. Yeah. That's being directed by a woman. Oh, my God. That looks so amazing. That looks so good. Yeah. The production values on that are pretty special. I mean, they, because it's set, well, the majority of it's set in World War One, And to actually put it together to, to make that look good, it's just... Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty outstanding. I haven't seen any of the Jessica Jones. I, mean, I don't even watch TV. I don't even have a cable box hooked up to my TV. What does that tell you? <laughs> but I've heard a lot of... Well, I guess I don't need to because that has Netflix. That's all Netflix. But I've heard a lot of good things about that series. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's it. picked up a really good audience base. I mean, it, it was a, a bit of a slow burner, but it, it um, when it started going, it really, really took off. Well, Netflix or any any place like that, they're perfect for those kinds of shows because then they're not restricted to... You know, uh, what people would expect to see on cable TV. They can go darker. They can go grittier. And, and well, okay, okay, I guess I can't really say anything about cable TV based on uh, The Walking Dead from this past week, which got a lot of people <laughs> yeah, irked on the, the violence level in it. But so, I mean, Netflix, that's a great spot for it. Certainly is, and Netflix and, and Amazon, they're not, they're not afraid to take chances. Mm-hmm. Whereas most of your networks, they like to make, keep it safe. Cause yeah, they're too based on. They're too, even though they're making lots of money, they're just way too restricted by what they view are the ratings. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Firefly. <clears throat> Not that I'm bitter about that, mind you. <laughs> have you seen Deadpool yet? I have. What do you think? I loved it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I, I I just love anything that does the talking to the audience. I mean, I I get that. Oh, from, yeah. get that from Ferris Bueller. Uh, it's it's just one of those things. I love that movie ever since that sneak trailer was was leaked. Obviously, they're doing Deadpool two. Mm-hmm. Duh! It's the highest grossing R rated movie ever. So yeah, it was kind of going to be a guarantee that it was going to have a sequel. Unfortunately, the original team is not going to be part of it. Apparently, there have been uh, creative differences between director Tim Miller and Ryan Reynolds. And Tim Miller has said, that's it, I'm done, and he's out. So now the hunt is on for a new director for, for the Deadpool sequel. Have you heard that there is a Change.org petition suggesting that the job should go to Quentin Tarantino? No. No. I've heard, yes, I did read about that petition, and my first response was just, no. 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 I respect Quentin Tarantino immensely. I love what he did 
for Hateful Eight and and his love for cinema and film and all of that. Deadpool? No. I can see where the people are coming from where uh, want it to, to come about because of films like Kill Bill. Sure. Um, I mean, as we speak, the petition has about 8,000 names on it. Uh, they need 10,000 for the petition to go through, but that doesn't mean anything, to be honest with you, because oh, no. it makes no difference. He said, uh, and there's, there's also the question whether Tarantino would be wanting to do it anyway. He has shown interest in superhero properties before, because he was interested in doing Luke Cage before Luke Cage went on to Netflix. But, you know, it's violent and it's crude. Exactly. And, that, and that, that right there... <laughs> Yes, Deadpool had its level of violence, but it was still cartoony, and it was there, and it was done, and they didn't dwell on it, which is kind of completely opposite the way Tarantino handles violence. I I was reading about this. He's actually got his own color and his own formula for how blood is made for his movies because he uses so much of it that they actually have their own color called Tarantino Red. (laughs) They, they use gallons of it. I forget how many gallons they actually used for the Hateful Eight. But when you have to measure it in gallons, and you have the actors saying that some of them didn't bother to take showers because it's so hard to get off, I'm sorry. That level of gratuitous violence will immediately kill half the audience to, from watching the next Deadpool movie. Because I won't be able to watch it. I'm sorry. I love, I love the ideas behind Quentin Tarantino's movies and... I would have loved to have seen The Hateful Eight, but then I read about all the violence and the blood and all that. I can't handle it. I wouldn't be able to watch a Deadpool sequel if he directed it. Did you actually see the reasons why this falling out happened? I looked. uh, There's just a bunch of insiders, and all they're saying are creative differences. I have not been able to get any detail unless something new has come out. Well, according to the rap, Miller wanted a more stylized sequel while Reynolds wanted to stay true to the first film's raunchy comedy style well yeah that's what Deadpool is yeah Uh, and furthermore Miller reportedly wanted to cast Kyle Chandler as Cable in the sequel uh, which Reynolds didn't agree with and in the end 20th Century Fox sided with Reynolds prompting Miller to exit the project Well, Reynolds is a producer on it, so he does have that kind of weight to it. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually puts his hand in and says, okay, I'll direct it. That'd be interesting. I mean, I think it'd kind of be a a bit of a risk, maybe? Maybe not. Because really, so much of Deadpool is him. You know, even just him ad-libbing and having fun with it, mm-hmm. that's Deadpool. Maybe it would, maybe he would work as a director, I don't know. Basically, we just got to watch this space. Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen no matter what. And and that's the thing. I've, I've read one website. I won't mention who because they're nothing but clickbait central, mm-hmm. and I, I just refuse to, to do that. But their whole thing was that removing Miller was taking a big step backward. And I'm just thinking to myself, why is that a step backward? Because for all we know, he's the one who wants Deadpool 2 to be something other than what Deadpool should be. You know, and from what you said, it actually does sound like that. Yeah, it worked. So carry on with what worked. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of um, Steve Dillon. I know the name. Yeah, uh, who's a, a comic book creator, illustrator, um a bit of a genius actually with some of the work that he's done over the years 
um, and he's, he he's died recently. Uh, died last week uh, at the age of 54, and uh, he's quite local to here. He, he come from a place called Luton in in Bedfordshire. He's worked on some really big productions. Um, his, his first professional work at the age of 16 was drawing the title story in the first issue of Hulk Weekly for Marvel UK. Uh, 16? 16. Wow. He went on then to work on a range of comics over five decades, creating artwork for several Marvel titles, including Wolverine Origins. In the 1980s, um, really got his career going by creating uh, storylines for Doctor Who magazine and 2000 AD. He actually did some really good Judge Dredd illustrations. They were really, really good. And then he broke out into America when he teamed up with writer Garth Ennis on Vertigo Comics and created The Preacher, which is now a, a big TV series. Nearly 50 years in the business and uh, yeah, sad loss to the, the comic book mm. industry. Um, I, I know quite a few people in the independent uh, comic book world and the tributes have been flowing over the last few days. Um, but yeah... 2016 has hit again. Uh, the last couple of days has been some quite big names. I mean, Bobby V died yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And and Pete Burns from Dead or Alive. Yeah, saw that. That was he was only fifty something. Well, that's not going to be much because he was a one-hit wonder over here. Uh, yeah, he, he, he were pretty much known for one song in particular. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I was reading about it. He's apparently stayed in the the British media quite often. So, but over here, it's like, oh, that one song from the '80s. I saw that. I was like, oh man, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has just been a bad year in that regard. It's going to become an even worse year for other reasons. Oh God, November. Oh. <sighs> Whatever, this is not a political talk show, so we will not talk about that. <laughs> it's the, the I don't want to get depressed. The thing is, before you even mentioned November, I knew what yeah. you were talking about. <laughs> oh, God, this is... And the problem is, science has determined that 2016 is going to be one second longer than they thought it was going to be, you know, in, in actual time terms. My God, haven't we had enough? Do we have to have another second of 2016? Well, just make the most of that second. Ugh. <laughs> it's, it doesn't have a great record so far. <laughs> have you seen the the, uh, the latest trailer for Logan, the last Wolverine movie with Hugh Jackman? Yeah, I was pretty shocked by that. I don't know what to think, but I think I'm going to like it. There was one bit where he got quite aggressive with somebody. In it well, yeah, but that's, that's Wolverine. I know, but it was quite vivid. <laughs> Well, Even for a trailer. I, I guess. I just like the fact that they're basically making it a Western. I was like, that's a cool way of handling it. I am curious how they're going to do the whole handoff. They won't be able to do a Wolverine movie for a long time now because he is so closely associated with that character. Yeah. Any any attempts to reinvent him with a new actor, you're going to get the same kind of stuff they got with Ghostbusters. You're probably right. But then, you know, a lot of people got used to Christian Bale being Batman and... I don't think Ben Affleck did a bad job. No, no, I don't think he did a bad job at all. But yeah, but that's not a really fair statement because Batman has been reinvented how many times now? This is true. You know, Michael true. Keaton, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney. Yeah, I'll try and forget the, the George Clooney version of it. Oh, come on. You know, all the people that dish on that one, 
as a sit down and just chew on your popcorn movie, it's not that bad. There, I said it. <laughs> I would get ready for hate mail. I would rather watch Batman and Robin than the second Tim Burton Batman movie. Why well, I forget it the name of it just shows how much I don't like it. I would rather watch that one than watch the second one with uh, Penguin and Catwoman. It was campy, it was goofy, but at least it was somewhat enjoyable. That second movie with Penguin and Catwoman was just like, okay, what's this? Sorry, so there, I said it. Get ready for the hate mail. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, yeah, as you're saying, I mean, with Hugh Jackman he's done such a really good job I mean I'm not the biggest X-Men fan in the world but Wolverine I do like (laughs) he is so good he is so good in that role and I even didn't mind Wolverine X-Men Origins movie I didn't mind it Mm -hmm. some of it was just awful I will admit that hello Deadpool Deadpool shoots beams from his eyes what and Deadpool doesn't speak what (laughs) what were they smoking but I mean the same thing just sit down watch it it's a decent popcorn movie it's not a good movie but it's a decent popcorn movie even Kevin Feige said that uh, when um, Iron Man finally retires Robert Downey Jr. when he's done with the role they're just not going to have any more Iron Man movies because no one can replace him. He was kind of hinting at that as well, wasn't he? Uh, that he, he's not sure whether he wants to do any more Iron Man movies. He's, he, he's all right doing the, um, the Avengers stuff, but he's not mm-hmm. too sure about doing the uh, the solo movies. Well, even, even Jeremy Renner has said that about Hawkeye. He said he's completely content with Hawkeye being part of the ensemble. Mm-hmm. He, he has said flat out... He doesn't want his own movie. He's fine with just being part of the team, which, okay, I'll give him credit for that. You know, I'm sure that there's a lot more pressure and so forth to be, you know, to have your own movie. So, I mean, you know, I'll give him kudos for that. Yeah, it's, it's it's difficult when you've kind of cast a mold for, for a character and uh, it's something that people really enjoy and, and then something else comes along uh, of a similar similar ilk and and people don't gel to it i mean i haven't actually seen ghostbusters yet um i mean i've obviously seen clips of it and i won't uh, Mm -hmm. cast my vision on it until i've actually seen the full the full movie Uh, yeah i'm i'm debating (laughs) i should but i i don't know i don't mind the fact that they gender swapped i you know or any of that it's just i don't know I've heard the movie itself is just blah. My problem is, I've got I've got no problems with having really strong female characters, obviously. But what I am getting a bit fed up with, why do they need to do this gender-swapping movies? Why don't they have brand-new, strong female characters instead of changing the male characters into female characters? It just... Why? <laughs> I, you know, I unfortunately, generally, when you ask that question, you'll all of a sudden be labeled, uh, you know, as like a woman hater or misogynist. That that way overly used term. I forget who addressed this. Um, John Carpenter. I saw an interview with him, and he said the problem is that remakes are so easy to do because people already know about what the movie is they know what the ip is so you don't have to have this new push there's already a familiarity to it more of a case of are they running out of ideas i think it's partially that and they're just afraid to make any runs on new ips you know and unfortunately even if it's not necessarily the fault of the movie take for example 
Disney's total screw up with John Carter. It had nothing to do with the movie. The movie itself was actually pretty damn good, but their marketing team completely botched it. The movie did horribly, and had they not botched the marketing, that could have been a new IP for Disney, because the movie itself actually was pretty good. But it, again, it's a new IP. So you have to try to introduce it to the audience who are not familiar with, with the whole series, the source that it came from, which in this case was comic books. You know, I, I had no idea before the movie came out that it was actually based on comic books. Their marketing team didn't do anything to push that. And so there's a risk when you're doing a new IP. And I think that's the problem. But in this case, well, it's established. People already know what it is, so we don't need to do as much marketing. Mm -hmm. And that's what they just seem to be doing anymore. I mean, what what I'm saying is, I'm a, and in no way am I disrespecting any female artists. No, I, at all. I know where you're going with it. Um, because it, I I just think there is room out there for brand new characters. I mean, look at Star Wars. Yeah. You've got Rey, a very strong, independent female character, and the character has been embraced, and I mean really embraced. Why can't other companies do that? <laughs> I mean, hello, I even though this isn't necessarily a new IP or anything, damn it, I want a Black Widow movie. Yeah, and there is a massive line behind you. <laughs> oh, I know there is, but that's what I mean. It's like, this whole thing right now and the studios have actually been caught in this well just because of Star Wars that there is a huge demand out there for lead female action characters as in Rey mm -hmm. you know because girls don't want to be involved in dresses and dolls and so forth as much as the stores and the, the studios and so forth would make us want to think they do you know my daughters all love Star Wars mm-hmm they all love them, you know, and, and they they love video games. So and they're not into, you know, oh, all these little cutesy. I mean, granted, they're, they're into the cutesy games as well. But my my teenage daughter loves Assassin's Creed. That's not typically considered to be, you know, a girly kind of game. No. So and then you just see so many. I, I can't imagine how many little kids I'm going to see or little girls dressed as Ray for Halloween. When, I'm sure there're going to be a bunch of them. When I was at Field of Force Day, uh, there was quite a few. Uh, a friend of mine called Louisa, who's um, one of the organisers for Field of Force Day down in Plymouth, and um, she does cosplay. And one of her characters is Ray, uh -huh. and the girls that come and flock to her when she's yeah. at these events is amazing. It's amazing to see, actually. You know, and, well, and Ghostbusters too. There are a lot of girls out there, you know, I've seen, cause I've seen the pictures of them and so forth, of girls going around in Ghostbusters out. Well, I saw it the other day. We, we have this thing in a nearby town uh, where you, you can go to take the kids to the local businesses and the businesses will hand out candy. And I saw lots of girls in Ray costumes and Ghostbusters outfits. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with gender swapping and I, I, I genuinely do not under the understand the people who have a problem with that. Some of the most inventive cosplay costumes are based around that idea you know I wonder what this character would be if the gender was swapped sure and there are some really unusual costumes but you know a lot of work has gone into them as well oh my god yes <clears throat> well even up at, up at uh, you know PAX where just same thing for video game characters gender swapped video game characters and some of those outfits are amazing mm-hmm so, I mean, the demand is out there, and like I said, I want to see a Black Widow movie. 
hey, I've got testosterone, but yet I want to see a Black Widow movie. I mean, you know, you know back in the day, I mean, yeah, the only really strong female character that I can remember from the 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 80s, you had, you know, a couple of the martial artists out there, like um, well, Cynthia Rutherrock, and you had um, uh, uh, Red Sonja. Uh-huh. <laughs> there, there was a yep. strong female character. Um, She-Ra? yeah. Yeah, I was watching He-Man again the other day, and that is... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I've got a bunch of their episodes on my Plex server. And uh, just thinking, what were they on at the time? But it was... Um... Wow, well, that was the 80s. Come on. <laughs> There's a lot of cocaine going around then, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can only hope that with Wonder Woman, uh, that should be... Hopefully that's going to start turning the tide. I'm, I'm hoping that that does really well... And uh, people are going to start to realize, you know, the top executives. Oh, these uh, female-led action movies really actually can do well. Yeah, yeah, they can. I think she already proved her point in in the uh, the, the Batman Superman movie. To be honest with you, I loved her. She she just totally kicked butt, and she gave the only lo- she gave the only part in the movie where I actually broke a smile. Which is sad. I mean, I I did like the movie. I don't. I don't pan it the way the critics have but really hers was the only moment where I actually was able to smile at it because she was kicking butt and she looked like she was just ready for more and it was I, I like it when she was the in in her normal guys her Diana Prince guys where she uh, was at that party and uh, she really got the better of Bruce Wayne <laughs> really got the better of him yes she did <laughs> He, he thinks he is the buy all and end all of everything. It's like, yeah, yeah. Well, she dropped the mic on you, fella. So, no, I mean, yeah, I, I understand where you're going with the gender swapped, mm-hmm. but you know, to the listeners out there, it really has nothing to do with gender. It just has no. to do with reusing old IPs. Yeah, and and on that one, I'm totally on base with you. Yeah, it's there must be ideas out there and this is where I think the script writers and, and uh, directors out there, female directors and script writers can come into their own with this mm-hmm. now, coming up with new fresh ideas and that's what people are looking out for now Right. Well, and hopefully the, this new season of Jessica Jones with all female directors, hopefully that will also start to make some waves. Yeah, because this this could be a launch pad for each. I think I suppose there are 13, 13 different directors uh, for this. You know, if if each of them went off and did a solo project, which made it onto the big screen, it could be something amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing to say that a woman can't make an action movie because no. women have. <laughs> As uh, some of you will know, if you've been following our tweets and our Facebook statuses on our TGP Nominal accounts, I recently went to Field of Force Day, and um, I've had a lot of people asking me about a certain interview, or I like to say chat, that I had with somebody that is really special to me because of the show that they were featured in. Now, this person is called Hattie Hayridge, now, Hattie was a character in Red Dwarf. Uh, she played the female Holly. And I caught up with her and, um, had a, as I say, I had a little chat and uh, this is how it went. So here we are at the, well, near enough, the end of uh, Field of Force Day 2016. And I have the pleasure of being in the company of the lovely 
Hattie Hayridge, how are you doing, Hattie? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm surviving. <laughs> no, it's been a really good day. I, I keep saying it's more like a carnival than a Comic-Con, really. It's just with so much entertainment and everything going on. It's just brilliant. It's a brilliant day. It is, um, and it's such a relaxed atmosphere here as well. Yeah. Um, so it's your first time here. Yeah. And... Um, from what you've seen around, is there anything stuck out for you today? Well, I think it is all the entertainment going on. Um, I mean, there's, there's lots of rooms different different people can go in according to how they feel and what suits them. And then there's the main area where we're all sitting, the actors and lots of cosplay people. And uh, and then the, the stage there with like singing and dancing. We've had the Blues Brothers. I've done a bit of a dance myself, not on stage, <laughs> just behind my table. Um, the princesses from Frozen and various other things. It's, it's just been a really good, lively whole day. Obviously, most people will know you as, as Holly uh, from, from Red Dwarf. Um, now, that was a, a, a few years ago now, because you was it Series 5 was your the last one you were in? Yes, it was. Yeah, I was in 3, 4 and 5, and then the last episode of Series 2. So how did you... Doing it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> or backwards. Was yeah. one episode was, yeah. <laughs> um, so how, how did you get to be Holly? Well, I'd started doing stand-up from a spontaneous night at a comedy club in um, about 1987. When they'd said, if anyone wants to get something to do up... Oh, I can't even speak. Get up and do something they can. And I, I was a temp at that point, and I'd had a really horrible day at the office. So I just got up and started moaning. And, um, and then someone gave me a five-minute comedy booking from that. And then at that point, that was like the beginnings of the comedy circuit. So there was like producers at every gig you did. So they saw me, put me on Friday Night Live, and then the Red Dwarf people, producers, saw me on Friday Night Live and put me in the last episode of Series 2. So was Paul Jackson involved with Friday Night Live then? Or was it...? I think he was, executive producer, yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, right, OK. And from there, you, you got... Was it... Did you got cast, or did they just went to you and said, no, did I had you the, like the part? Well, they, they did for that one, for Parallel Universe. They just get sent the script. And then in between, because there was like a, such a long gap between each series, yeah. about 18 months, um, in between that, I think Norman got married. He moved to Edinburgh. Yeah, and then he got offered his own show called I Love It. I think this was all right. And then I think he had to choose between maybe having his own show or mm. being in Red Dwarf. So... I suppose you'd naturally choose having your own show. So uh, at the moment there isn't a Holly in, in no. Red Dwarf. If, if they offered it to you, would you would you come back? Um, well, I don't think they will, so I'm not I'm not deciding on that. Okay, fair enough. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was ages since I was last in it. Yeah. And I thought if they were going to, it would have been series ten. So, and now they've done 11 and 12. Yeah, that's, I'm like, so that's <laughs> quite a long time. <laughs> yeah. The pr producer now is um, um, Richard Naylor, <clears throat> who's the son of Doug Naylor, and I'm not even sure I've even met him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you think of the new star Red Dwarf of all the, the effects and everything compared with... Oh, I, th I think it's gone back to the old style now. 10 and 11, and these two and 11... Back to the old style, really. Yeah, I guess. So there's, the ones there's a in lot between more, that were. Yeah, a bit more flashbang stuff. Yeah. 
but because there's a little bit more of that um, rumor lister back and forth again, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. So. I think they, well, you know, I see them quite a lot, and I think they'd all realise that, that they were the best when they were, you know, when it was character-based rather than special effects-based. So what was what was it like working with the guys? Oh, well, they're all, we're all a little bit like um, our characters, really, because the writers were with us all the time as well. So they'd, like, follow us to the canteen all the time. <laughs> they'd just be listening in on your conversation. <laughs> um... Yes, yeah, so, I mean, uh, Chris is a little bit interested in engines and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, everyone's got a little bit about them. Um, uh, Robert Crichton will sometimes be apologising if it's raining. And you go, <laughs> it's actually nothing to do with you, Robert. <laughs> and um, Danny is, you know, good on his feet because he was a dancer. Yeah, he was, wasn't Played he? a cat in Cats. And... Um, you know, likes to look good. <laughs> that he does, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Craig, was, I remember one time in the canteen, Craig, when we were all sitting around, he goes to, to the writers, he goes, hey, guys, why do you always have me as a slob? And they went, ah, oh, I don't know. And then he picked up his plate and licked it clean. <laughs> and they went, yeah, maybe that's it, Craig. <laughs> and probably my first gig was me just moaning, so they probably thought, oh, yeah, sarcastic and moany. We'll have a... Yeah, and and then you had the the other side of it when you played the the, the low holly as well. Which oh was yeah, a complete contrast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good. that was filmed differently that one because that was a different director, Juliet May. Yeah, and that was really difficult for her because that was I think that was the first one she did, and we all played three parts <laughs> to like get that really sorted yeah because yeah. she'd mainly done stand-up shows where someone walked on and then did it and walked off so <laughs> that was really a difficult one so what's been new for you what have you been doing lately um still do stand-up been doing yeah bits and pieces <laughs> hello <laughs> little kid at the door <laughs> um been writing a script for a film script for ages that um, involves uh, foreign gangsters in a foreign country. That's oh, all wow. I say. Write what you know. That's what they always say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's there's a company reading that at the moment. There's lots of things I don't do, which drives agents mad. I've had loads of agents. It's just hard after Red Dwarf because it was so good. You know, you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's a bit rubbish, isn't it? And they go, well, you did. <laughs> I go, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and eventually I get a letter saying, I don't think we can work with you. <laughs> so, but I survive. I haven't starved to death yet, so I'm fine. That's, that's the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, do you get to do a lot of conventions then? Um, I have done this year, yeah. I think because there was a new series coming up. And uh, it's like a, I think the cosplay has revitalised um, conventions. Do you, do you get a lot of people... Dressed as me? Yeah. No, hardly any. Oh, wow, that surprises me. No. Um, the first one I ever saw was one in, that I did in Chicago, and this was before security got really tight, but he'd got on a plane from Kansas or something to Chicago uh, with a blonde wig on and a television on his head. OK. <laughs> got well and truly searched. <laughs> I can imagine. But, um, I mean, nowadays he wouldn't be allowed in at all, I don't suppose. That's it, wow. And then there was a girl a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember where, but she was the only other one I've seen with 
with a blonde wig and a television on her head. That really does. I mean, these are real televisions. That heavy, heavy thing to yeah. carry It's going to get much harder with flat screen, you see. That's a problem. That's true. <laughs> Just have to be a shoebox. <laughs> I just thought of two things I did. Jonathan Creek, because <laughs> yes. that's a good yes. series. Yes. Uh, I was, I was uh, a magician in that. And um, I had to do some stuff, uh, some juggling with bananas. Never work with fruit, it's very dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> Animals, children, and fruit. The fruit, yeah. And uh, another one uh, I did was uh, uh, an American sci-fi series called Lex. I was in an episode of that. Yeah, I remember Lex. Yeah. 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 Wow. That was that was good. We, uh, Craig was. It, I was in it first, and then they said, "Oh, maybe we can get someone else from Red Dwarf as well." So then they got Craig, and we got snowed in for a couple of days in Canada. Wow. It was quite fun actually. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> yeah. Proper snow. Yeah. <laughs> The only other time I got snowed in was doing uh, Richard and Judy one morning in Liverpool, so... Swings and roundabouts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Hattie. Thank you. Um, and what we like to do on TGP Nominal is present special guests uh, with one of our uh, honorary crew member patches. Ah, thank you. That is really good. And, uh, Did you sew that yourself? <laughs> oh, no. It's really good, actually, isn't it? <laughs> it, it took a lot it's to design lovely. it. Lot to design it, actually, because um, it's it, really it, lovely. It's, it's a multicultural event, uh, getting it all together. Because um, I had the ideas, and I sent it off to a guy in India hmm. who actually came up with the design. Wow! And then I sent it off to a manufacturer of patch badges who are based in Poland. Right. And then it came back to me like that so. <laughs> well there you go international cooperation that's lovely <laughs> what we'll do also if, if you wouldn't mind is if I can take a photograph with you holding it and then yeah. you'll end up on our honorary crew members wall which you'll be up there with with Chris Barry okay. that's fine <laughs> and um, um Used to flying around with Chris, Chris and, and uh, a couple of astronauts and uh, oh wow really <laughs> yeah real ones yeah proper astronauts oh how fantastic and um, uh, God, I wonder what they think of all this stuff <laughs> messing about it. pretending to be it. in space absolutely they... love it it goes so hand in hand so oh. that, that's why we call ourselves uh, the mon our monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction oh. um, because most rocket scientists and huh. uh, they're all. Sci-fi so it is rocket science. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Actually, we've got one of our members is a rocket scientist, female rocket scientist right. actually, and um, she's actually building and designing satellites that are currently up there at the moment. Wow, so, it's excellent. It's actually, some of the uh, stormtroopers are all in that sort of business. Yes, yeah, so I've heard. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to tell which ones now because they talk to you and then you can't recognise them again. Yeah, no, I think it all must be secret same. staff. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they wear the stormtrooper outfit. That's it. <laughs> well, thanks for talking with us. Thanks, Mark. It's, it's, um... This is nice. I really do like this. That was Hattie Hayward. She was absolutely lovely. And Sounds like she was fun to talk to. Yeah, she was a great laugh. And I, I found out something while, while I was packing up on the day, and I wondered why it was so quiet. Uh, well, I found a corridor that was nice and quiet to do the interview in, and uh, I wondered why there was nobody coming anywhere near us. And apparently one of the security guards got wind of the fact that we were conducting a, an interview, and he actually stopped people from coming down the corridor. <laughs> Oh, nice. He spoke to me afterwards and he said, uh, 
did you get everything you needed? I went, um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> wow. Okay, good for him. So, yeah, I felt special then. <laughs> yeah. He deserved a badge. We had a, a great time talking with her, and I, I talked to her a bit beforehand as well, and... Uh, Explained what we wanted to do with the with an interview, and she said, "Yeah, come and see me when it's a bit more quiet, and we'll sort something out." And I thought, "Nice, thank you." On top of that, we've got uh, a few more, quite a few more interviews and things uh, from different conventions that we're going to put together. And for over the holiday period, and including New Year's, we're going to have uh, a two-part podcast, which is a convention special. So, yeah, keep listening out for that. Warner Brothers has been saying flat out, we do not have a no-humor kind of rule. Well, you know, Dawn of Justice kind of makes it seem like you do, because it really wasn't funny. They're, they're, they're just dark. You know, hopefully Wonder Woman will turn that around. Hopefully, it looks like Aquaman is going to turn that around as well, because according to the director, James Wan, he says that he wants this movie to be, as he says, super cool. He says, I don't want to give too much away, but know this, the spirit that I'm going for is like a classic sort of swashbuckling action-adventure, sort of high scene adventure story uh, in the spirit of Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Romancing the Stone. Mm. That's an interesting combo. I, I love both of those movies, but that's a very interesting combo. It's just one of those things I saw that and it's like, you know what? The, the DC movies have been so damn dark. Looks like Wonder Woman's going to start to turn that around. Hopefully... Aquaman will help to turn that around as well. We can hope. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't think that it can get much darker. The funny thing you were saying, there's a strange combination of things. I haven't actually watched any of them yet, but you know they've made a television series out of The Exorcist. Oh, God. What? What? Yeah, what? Yeah, they have. Um, this is why I don't watch television. And uh, I've, I've uh, recorded a few of them. I haven't actually watched them yet. But I was reading something about them, and one of the writers of the show actually said it's a kind of like a religious James Bond. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? A religious James Bond? <laughs> what? Uh. He shoots the atheists? What? I, what does that mean? <laughs> I have no idea. So I'm now more fascinated to watch an episode of it to find out what he means by that. Okay, so it's on Fox. Okay, that's Fox likes doing these kinds of shows, so that part doesn't surprise me. Okay, so it's going to be based on the priest who does exorcisms, I take it. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I just... Hmm. <laughs> The James Bond connection is is kind of short-circuiting my brain right now. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just when you said it was a, a, a combination of, and I went, yep, that reminds me of this. <laughs> okay, I mean, I can get the Indiana Jones and Romancing the Stone. Yeah, there's a similar kind of... Yes, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't get the James Bond. <laughs> Because that means that the priest would also have to be a womanizer, which if he's Roman Catholic, that's a no-no. Um, Since when have you... No, I won't go down that road. Yeah, really. No, 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 no. no. So many roads you could go down on that one. So many people will say, I'm not listening to you anymore. (laughs) Bad mark. Yeah, okay, whatever. I'll take his word for it, because that just doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) So I think I'll have to watch a couple of episodes and report back. (laughs) That could make a great parody, though, because you get a cardinal, 
whatever who's in charge of the not, gadgets. Not Cardinal you know, Wiggles. You know, of course, the Pope would be the equivalent of M. <laughs> this could be a great parody, but I don't... <laughs> <laughs> if he seriously meant a James Bondish the, the kind Vatican, of thing, the Vatican is actually a secret service. Okay, That's, <laughs> Vatican City is you know MI six. <laughs> I can see something there actually. Now, the more you say it, I can actually see it. <laughs> I came up with the idea. I want rights to it. <laughs> if a movie comes out in a few years with this premise, I'm suing whoever did it. <laughs> and we've, we've got it on recording. And That's and right. It, and it'll be in cyberspace. It'll be everywhere. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll keep the file on my on my system here so I can have the date. <laughs> okay. Well, takes all kinds, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, speaking of bizarre connections, obviously we all know Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Get ready for this. I assume you were hanging around with computers in the days of Windows 3.1? Just about, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so didn't come with a bunch of useful programs built into it. If you didn't play with this, you're lying. Or if you say you didn't play with this, you're lying. And that was Microsoft Paint. Everybody yeah. played with Paint. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Even if it was just to make some stupid drawing that you immediately deleted and whatever, everybody played with Microsoft Paint. And of course, when you think of Microsoft Paint, you think of really, really bad drawings that even a kindergartner could do better if they tried on paper. Mm-hmm. Well, a guy has decided to have fun with this, and he is redoing Blade Runner scene for scene in Microsoft Paint. And it looks as atrocious as you would think it is. <laughs> it is absolutely awful, but the guy's name is David McGowan, and, I mean, it's it's Microsoft Paint. You can only do so much with it, and it's pretty clear that he's not using a drawing tablet either. He's probably using the mouse, but nonetheless, he's going through. He's only got about halfway through the movie right now, but he's going through with just a whole bunch of scenes all drawn in really bad Microsoft Paint I think images. There's probably going to be a phrase with that that's, it's so bad it's good. You know. Yeah, it does qualify for that. I'll give him that. So uh, he said that some of the drawings take him as little as five minutes and you can understand why, depending on how much detail goes into the shot. He, sometimes he'll do one or two per day when he gets home from work. If he has the day off, he'll do even more. But, I mean, he even admits that he is not an artist, and that's one of the reasons why he's doing this. <laughs> so he says he's a huge fan of the movie, but he does watch it as, as sparingly as possible so he doesn't burn out on it. He said he wanted to have a blog, but he's not really an author, but he wanted to have something to put up on there, so he started putting up Blade Runner, scene by scene, in Microsoft Paint, and it's both hideous and glorious. It, it reminds me of the days when uh, you used to use the Etch-A-Sketch, and uh, you could never get anything decent out of it. Oh, no. But you used to see the pictures on the back of the box, and you think, how did they do that? Yeah, well, in this case, you know how the guy did it. It's awful, but it's amazing to look at. Because <laughs> you can, I mean, if you've even seen the movie once, you know what scenes there he's he's doing. Mm -hmm. You can tell. You know, even though, you know, the characters don't look anything like the actors, you still know just from the way he drew it what scene that's referring to. <laughs> I just thought of a, somebody showed me a joke once about the Etch Sketch. It just reminded me of it again, where you. you it's given a, an Etch-a-Sketch to a kid, and they're, obviously they're used to the new modern technology. 
And it's like, well, how do you save your drawing? <laughs> and he said, don't shake it. Okay. Well, how do you delete your drawing? Uh, shake it. <laughs> <laughs> Spanhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So that brings us to the end of a, another pack show. It was great to have Chris on the show. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's always good to have guests, but uh, to, to have someone from a well respected website as Star Wars Underworld I've mentioned in the past we, we, we get some of our Star Wars news from the website anyway so I thought it only right to have someone from the website on the show yeah absolutely and I will admit I felt just a little tinge of pride when I knew something about that that 35mm <laughs> Star Wars print and he didn't know about that I felt a little proud of myself on that one I, 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 <laughs> I, I felt that yeah <laughs> I was like wow hey I would have expected him to know that but uh, hey yeah, it's all good you can't know everything mm-hmm. we've got something coming up for our next space related show um, I'm not going to go into it too much right now but let's just say that NASA has been in contact with us <laughs> and uh, we're pretty excited about it aren't we John well I mean it was good until they said yes we, we'd like to get you on a one way trip to get you off the planet that was I wasn't quite sure how to take that <laughs> I, you know, is it a compliment that they think I can handle that kind of a trip, or...? But no, it, it has been a big surprise to us that NASA actually got in contact. Oh, that was, that was awesome. So, on the next show, we will be hopefully talking to somebody from NASA Goddard. Yeah, as I say, we won't say any more than that. Just tune in to episode 3.3, and uh, you'll find out a bit more. So there's only one thing left to say, and that's thanks for listening. John, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always fun to be here. And we'll speak to you all again soon. Toodles! Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. Be sure to visit tgpnominal.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode. Just look for the relevant tab on the menu. Let us know what you think of the show. Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com Because your input is our output. Or you can use the social media icons at the top of the page that include Twitter and Facebook. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can find links on all our podcast pages. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.